This is Notably Texan on 88.9 KETR and KETR.org. My name is Matt Minky. I'm happy to bring you a special discussion today with a singer from Dallas whose career has spanned more than 50 years. He started out in Texas with the regionally successful group Southwest FOB, which stands for Freight on Board, and that later spawned his collaboration with Dan Seals as England Dan and John Ford Coley. That soft rock duo released albums throughout the 70s, and Coley remains an active touring artist today, with the show October 2nd in Greenville at the Texan Theater. Our special guest today on Notably Texan is John Ford Coley. Turn on the radio, we'll play it way down low. There's a tear in your eye that's reflecting the fire's glow. This night would never end The sun ain't gonna be my friend Lying here waiting and wishing I knew Well, it's my great pleasure to speak with you today, John. Thank you so much for joining Notably Texan. Thank you. Are you uh, speaking to us from Tennessee today? I am, yeah. Uh, I live outside of Nashville, about 15, 20 miles, in a little town called Franklin. We moved back here in about 1999. And, um, you know, I've been putting these songs and, and, you know, and things like that in films. And uh, it just kind of dried up, and we'd been looking for a change and. Uh, there was so much great music that was coming out of Nashville, and I went, heck, man, I'm, I'm going to try there. Absolutely. Because I've been kind of coming back and forth over the years. You know, we'd either recorded it here or I just visited playing Tin Pan South. And the writers that they had in this town, oh, my goodness, they were just, they're phenomenal. They're just phenomenal writers. Well, that is definitely the place that draws in all the great songwriters uh, of the nation and, and maybe even the world, so I, that makes absolute sense to me. I would kind of love to hear about your uh, your early days and your upbringing in Texas. You're on a, a show today called Notably Texan, so it's about all things Texas music here. But uh, I was yeah. curious to know a little bit about where you grew up in Texas. Well, actually, I'm, I'm a sixth-generation Texan. Uh, my great-great-great-grandfather was there in 1830. He came with, uh, with all people of... Um, uh, Edward Burleson, and uh, he was one of the founders of a little town called Bastrop outside of Austin, about 40 miles southeast. Yeah. He was actually part of the MENA volunteers. There were 60 of them that were going to reinforce the Alamo, Jesse Billingsley's group, and then they got to Gonzales the day before the Alamo fell, so he actually uh, was gathered up in that group, and they all went and fought at the Battle of San Jacinto, so he was one of the 34 men wounded in that battle carried that bullet the rest of his life, and it finally killed him. You know, so, so I've got a long history. And then, you know, my family had come from various parts in the south, from Alabama and Mississippi and uh, Tennessee. So they were kind of all right there, you know. And and uh, I just I just happened to be a byproduct of all of them. Okay. So uh, you grew up in Dallas, though, I think, right? I did, yes. I sure did. Uh, out uh, in a place called Pleasant Grove. It's a little small area on the east end and uh, kind of on the way to, to Texarkana, you know, when you when you go out to 30 right before Mesquite. Yeah, absolutely. Well, not very many of those uh, small places around Dallas are that small anymore, you know? <laughs> no. Well, you know, when I left Dallas in 1971 to move to Los Angeles because we were pursuing the career 
those are maybe half a million people, maybe a little bit more. But uh, all of a sudden, that doggone TV show Dallas came out, and they <laughs> they ballooned up to about six million overnight. You ended up uh, going to school with uh, somebody who would later become your musical partner. Uh, how did you and England Dan, as he was known then, become friends at school? Well, actually, we didn't become friends at school. There oh. was a I was in ROTC, and so there was a big group regional success called the Playboys Five. Well, the guitar player's girlfriend's giving him you know a tough time, so he eventually <laughs> quits. Well, all the guys in the band wanted a keyboard player, except for Dan. Dan wanted another guitar player because that was what he was accustomed to. So they found me an ROTC, you know, a Roxy boy, and found out that I played piano, and they asked me to audition. So I did, and I ended up getting the gig with them. I didn't know anything about, you know, pop music. I was trained classically. So it was really kind of an interesting thing because Dan and I did not get along. Really? He, yeah, he didn't want me in the band because, again, you know, he was looking for another guitar player. So, you know, I'm trying not to wait, make waves because Dan's a singer and saxophone player and, you know, very prominent in the band. So I'm just trying to keep a low profile. But Dan and I would end up writing to various gigs together. We'd end up singing harmony uh, on Everly Brothers songs and Righteous Brothers and things like that. And we kind of discovered that we had a natural blend. So then we ended up being really good friends, really close friends, and uh, went on to uh, to do the England Dan days. Yeah, forgive me for getting the specifics on that wrong, but I was definitely interested to know how you two became friends, and I did not know that it uh, didn't start out <laughs> at that tight of a friendship, but I'm glad that it blossomed no, into one. Not at all. But, I mean, you know, after the time that we spent with one another, I mean, literally, we could read one another's minds. It, it was uh, it was very uncanny. So then, you know, we, we just ended up going on to the other thing. We, we just split from the group because in that group, it was a very eclectic group. Because we started off playing all the popular songs, and then, you know, we continued doing that, but we jumped in from eras. We'd play the Young Rascals next. Started out with the Beach Boys, and we're Young Rascals. And then we might end up with, uh, you know, the Soul era with Wilson Pickett and Sam and Day playing all that stuff. And then we jumped into the psychedelic stuff. And actually, it kind of ended up playing uh, fusion jazz at the end of the uh, of the time that we spent in the Southwest FOB. I knew about the psychedelic side for sure, thanks to the you know kind of regional success that you had down Texas way in the late '60s, and uh, love love to pull up uh, some of that old footage and uh, that that classic album cover uh, from the psychedelic oh, days yeah. is pretty fun. <laughs> I remember that album cover because when we came in and saw it. And Rich, our manager, who actually was the stepfather of Ovid Stevens, who was the, the guitar player in the band, uh, he said, well, John, they're not going to be showing that in your Sunday school class, that's for sure. And I went, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to explain this to Mama. <laughs> Right, and you know, by today's uh, standards, you know, may maybe people wouldn't even uh, bat an eye at it, but I oh, understand. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. in the ever-present fullness of expectation. What happened to childhood dreams? The sidewalk smothers us tomorrow. Smell of incense fills her room. 
Going back into the psychedelic period from 1968, that's called Smell of Incense by Southwest FOB, which stood for Freight on Board, a Texas band that had regional success with that song, and it was the first collaboration between Dan Seals, or England Dan as he was known at the time, and today's special guest on 88.9 KETR, John Ford Coley. So your early group, Southwest FOB, kind of opened the door for uh, you and Dan Seals to to branch out and create uh, your own duo, which a lot of people remember you for. And I think that was when you guys both moved out to L.A., as you as you alluded to earlier. Yeah, we had actually quit the band. It, about 1970, we said, you know, enough. And, and, and we just kind of went out and played the Rubiot, you know, in Dallas and in any place that we could play, literally, trying out all these new songs. And uh, then what happened was 1971, we ended up uh, going out to Los Angeles and playing. And there was a guy there that was in the Wrecking Crew. And the Wrecking Crew was all these great players that were playing on all the studio sessions. His name was Louis Shelton. And uh, just a phenomenal guitar player. So he's playing with Joe Osborne and Hal Blaine and all these guys, you know, that did stuff with Simon and Garfunkel and the Beach Boys. And, and so we were very happy about having him take an interest in us yeah so he had a good relationship with herb alpert over at a and m records so he took our tape over there and said guys you kind of cross between the uh, the bgs and simon and garfunkel and herb said well you know we don't we don't really have a need for that right now and he said well just take the tape and listen to it so the way the story came back to us was that herb was shaving he was listening to the uh to the, the tape that we sent, said he stopped, wiped the shaving cream off his face, <laughs> called Louie and said, get him out here. Wow. <laughs> and so that's how we ended up at A&M Records. And Louie produced uh, three records on us. Well, that's uh, that's kind of the best you could hope for, right? It's like you make uh, make somebody in you know that's that's powerful like that and makes music decisions just kind of drop their straight razor and get <laughs> yeah, on the phone. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know, so we went in, we knew nothing. I mean, I'm sitting here and playing with all these guys in these sessions. Again, Hal Blaine, who played, you know, the Beach Boys played on uh, Good Vibrations. And Joe Osborne was there. Larry Nectar was playing keyboards. I ended up playing with him later on in Bread when he, when he went to Bread. But he played Bridge Over Troubled Water. I mean, you know, you've got all these guys. I don't know who they are. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, just, just as dumb as a post, you know. And... Uh, I mean, it, we got an education very, very quickly. Boy, no kidding. That's that's a heck of a way to, to start things up in, in L.A., surrounded by all that greatness. Well, uh, oh, yeah. I guess well, you... I remember one, one of the stories that I tell, and I'm going to be telling it this week, is that uh, we had an engineer. His name was Henry Louie. And Henry, you know, he was big into meditation and all those kinds of things. And so one day, it was just he and I in the studio. And he's kind of, you know, preparing things for the next session. And he just all of a sudden turns and looks at me and he goes, who do you like? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He goes, musicians and artists, who is attractive to you right now? And I said, ah, Henry, you probably never heard of this girl. She just knocks me out. One of some of the best lyrics I've ever heard, some most creative, and she uses all these unusual tunings. You ever heard of a girl by the name of uh, Joni Mitchell? And he looked at me and he said, are you kidding me? And I said, you've heard of her. And he said, John, I'm her producer. Oh, wow. She's recording over here in Studio C on Saturday. Come over. I'll introduce you. 
I walk. I, I get there on Saturday. I miss James Taylor by about ten minutes. He had just walked out. I watched Joni Mitchell record two songs, and it was like, my goodness, man, what league have you stepped into? And I discovered at that point that in Dallas, you know, we our band had been a pretty big deal all over Texas, pretty much. And I discovered the power instead of being the big fish in a small pond of being the small fish in a huge ocean. It was just so enlightening, and I learned so much, and I made so many friendships and got into places that I never would have gotten into. When we were there, they had just released our first record, the England Dan and John Ford Coley record. Well, they wanted us to play at the Troubadour. Who did we, who did we open up for a week with? Carol King. Really? We just had Tapestry. That was huge. So I'm looking out in the audience, and I'm going, oh, my God, that's Judy Carn from, from uh, Ron and Martin. Oh, yeah. Then I'm looking over, that's Barbara Streisand over there. That's <laughs> so-and-so. That's, and it's like, holy cow, what did you step into, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, Man. I mean, it, it was really a thrill, plus being just a, a tremendous education at the same time. I didn't know it would be so strong. hearing these amazing stories from the one and only John Ford Coley here on 88.9 KETR. And uh, you and England, Dan, of course, released multiple albums uh, in the 70s, but it's uh, without a doubt was your 1976 Nights Are Forever record that kind of saw the greatest success for the group. I was right. hoping you could tell me a little bit about how, t- how you two ended up with the song that became one of your signature hits. I'd really love to see you tonight. Well, first of all, when Dan and I both heard this song, we just kind of looked at one another and went, that's eh, kind of a female song. And... <laughs> That was one element. The other element is that we wanted to write our own songs. We wanted the singer-songwriter element. And unfortunately, you know, the songs that we had been writing just simply, I mean, we'd had a number one in Japan and France and, and South Africa, but as far as the States were concerned, no, we just had never had that. We're touring with everybody because they really like us, Brad and Elton John and Three Dog and Carol, you know, as, as all these people were playing with, but we can't get that radio hit. So then um, uh, they talked us into it. And so we had uh, Louis again. Louis Shelton came in, took over, and did the demo on it. He pulled in people I'd worked with before, David Page and Jeff Picaro. You know, the drummer, these guys were well-known. They ended up forming Toto later on. Oh, okay. So, you know, and I'd worked with with, uh, Page's dad, Marty. He was a string arranger. So we had this song, and we did it. We kind of had an open carte blanche and Atlantic Records, because they liked us. They just had not heard that hit single yet. So our manager goes in to present, you know, this, I'd really love to see you tonight. And before he could respond to her, there was a knock on the door. So these guys came in, and he introduced them to Susan as uh, Dick Vanderbilt and Doug Morris from a subsidiary of Atlantic um, Big Tree Records. 
And, you know, she's kind of like, yeah, okay, great. You know, nice to meet you guys. I get the hell out. You know, <laughs> I, I got I to get this thing solved here. They're talking, and finally Doug Morris looked at Bob Greenberg, the guy that she had gone in to see, and he said, what do you think of that, that record she played you? And Bob looked at Susan and went, uh, Susan, I don't quite think that's it. He says, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to pass on that one. Susan is so dejected. And Morris says, you sure you're going to pass on that, Bob? And he goes, yeah, he says, I'm sorry, Susan. I, I just don't think that one's it. Morris looks at Susan and says, we want the record. So they heard that song through the wall, came in, and signed us. It's kind of like, you know, being in the right spot at the right time. I, I don't believe in coincidences and nickels worth. So when something is supposed to happen, it's supposed to happen. Now we're kind of going, eh, we didn't really want to be on a subsidiary, you know. So now we're getting snotty, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up having the uh, the first gold record, gold album that was on Big Tree Records. It had a couple of other things before, but they'd never had a gold album. So we we got their first gold album for them. I mean, thinking back to, you know, if you can even imagine uh, this time when you guys were, you know, recording and producing that, did you have any idea how popular that song was going to become? No, not at all. Not at all. The thing with Dan and I, because again, we never looked at it as, as anything other than we could continue to play. Yeah. And, you know, didn't have to go do something else. So we weren't looking at it as stars or trying to be stars or anything of that nature. We were just simply trying to continue to work. Well, although it released in 1976, this tune definitely still has some life in it. In fact, it's been reintroduced to new generations thanks to appearances in movies like 2013's Anchorman 2. And the song has more than 55 million plays on Spotify, for instance. And here is that classic from the Nights Are Forever album from 1976 by Ingwin Dan and John Ford Coley. I'd really love to see you tonight, and we'll talk more with John Ford Coley coming up on KETR. Hello, yeah, it's been a while, not much, how about you? I'm not sure why I called, I guess I really just wanted to talk to you. And I was thinking maybe later on, we could get together for a while It's been such a long time And I really do miss your smile I'm not talking about moving in And I don't want to change your life But there's a warm wind blowing the stars around And I'd really love to see you tonight tonight I won't ask for promises so you don't have to lie we both played that game before say I love you then say goodbye I'm not talking about moving in and I don't want to change your life but there's a warm wind blowing the 
I'd really love to see you tonight. England Dan and John Ford Coley from 1976. Both England Dan, also known as Dan Seals, and John Ford Coley, both from right here in Texas. And John Ford Coley is performing in our area Saturday, October 2nd at the Texan Theater. And we're lucky enough to have on the phone with us today the one and only John Ford Coley. And honestly, you guys had no idea how popular that song would become, did you? It took off the way that it did, surprised us, surprised everybody. And, I mean, still to this day, I think the only reason why that song was any kind of a hit at all was simply because no one could understand what in the world we were saying. <laughs> you know, they, they it's like I, periodic, I still get people, and I'm not talking about Millennium, Wiggling. <laughs> M&M's, Bolivia, Atlanta. I mean, you know, we just continue to get those things. And I thought, man, it's clear as Mississippi mud to me. But, I mean, you know, what do you do? And back then you couldn't go look up lyrics on the Internet either. So No, not at all. So they would radio stations were holding contests. What do you think they're saying? It's like, really? I mean, the one that really blew me away was there's a radio station in St. Louis called Casey. And it was the heavy metal rock and roll album aor station on this no way in the world are we ever going to get one of our songs played on that station they picked it up no kidding and we're going oh my goodness man what what's going on i mean you know but again you know we had traveled around for years and years with all these different groups and a lot of times when they would go to the radio station they would invite us so we'd go in you know, talk to all the disc jockeys and things, and we just kind of made friends with people. And, I mean, Dan and I were really easy to play with because, I mean, when we started off with Elton, I didn't play piano. We only played two acoustic guitars. So the first time that we go in to set up and get our sound check with Elton in Milwaukee, we're done in five minutes. And it's it's two microphones that they've got to move after it's over. Yeah. And they looked at us and they said, that's it? And we went, well, yeah, that's that's it. And they go, we love you guys. Oh, so I bet. Stay with us, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was kind of like that the whole time. Light up the world, shine on me. Love is the answer. Shine on us all. John Ford Coley is speaking with Notably Texan today. He's performing live in Greenville on Saturday night. Uh, so, John, after the duo with Seal split up in 1980, uh, you've certainly kept quite busy with uh, many other projects. Uh, I think you've you've done some uh, a little acting and some music production. Uh, tell me a little bit about some of the things that have kept you busy through the years. Oh, man, one of the sad things about it is this is why I like playing new songs is because after the career is over, people pretty much think, you know, you're, you've gone to law school or you're living on, you know, all of your stock options or something. And, <laughs> and I was like, no, man, you keep working. I did a thing for a short time with two sisters called Leslie and Kelly. And then I went off into acting, did, did about four or five films as an actor, which was really enjoyable. I truly enjoyed acting because you meet, you know, so many different people and you come up with so many different stories from it. Just doing that, I um, 
you know, I wrote a book uh, talking about a lot of the things that went on because, again, that book is not about drugs, sex, and rock and roll. If you want to look at that kind of stuff, you, you know, there's a bunch of them out there. Mine was just ridiculously funny things that would go on all the time. And so it's like there, there was one story that I, I even tell. Pam Springsteen, when, when, when you work on a film, you get a lot of day players. So somebody's got two days, three days, five days, whatever, and they're done. And they're not even there a lot of times when the principal actors are there. So Pamela was the sister of Bruce Springsteen, and she had two days' worth of work. The film was about a band. I was the drummer. Timothy B. Schmidt was the bass player. Had a bunch of great people in it. So Pamela is getting fired from the band, but she doesn't know it. So she comes in when we've got a new girl in there playing keyboards. Uh, that was Catherine Mary Stewart from Last Starfighter and, and Night of the Comet and things like that. Yeah. So anyway, Pam and I, man, we just connected like we're brother and sister. It was great. She was wonderful. We laughed and we joked, and she kept going, John, you know, I'm really trying to get out from under Bruce's shadow. I'm working really hard, studying all the time, trying to become as believable as I possibly can, just, you know, taking all the classes, doing everything, and I'm trying to encourage her. So the next day she comes in. She sees me. It's her last day. Runs up to me, grabs me by the arm, and says, John, I talked to my brother Bruce last night. He knows who you are, says he loves your music, said he'd love to get together, maybe write with you sometime, maybe you guys could play together, something like that. He told me to give you his number. And I looked at her and I went, really? (laughs) And she said, no, I was just acting, but tell me, did you believe me? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And so, you know, stories like that. (laughs) You know, and it's like I laughed most of the time, except on that one, I wanted to kill her. Yeah. You know, we, we actually did become brother and sister at that point, you know, and there'll never be peace as long as there's siblings in the world. You know that. <laughs> right. So, uh, I mean, you know, it was just, it was fun coming up with all those things and all the stories. And they just began to take on a life of their own. And I wrote the book called Backstage Pass. But, I mean, you know, I, I still I still write all the time. I play all the time. Uh, go out on a lot of configurations with some of the groups that were popular during that time, Ambrosia, Peter Beckett from Player, maybe Stephen Bishop, Al Stewart. You know, we'll have all these people, Christopher Cross, America. You just have all these configurations of people. We all get up, play three, four, five songs, and we go eat. I mean, it, 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 I, I have not stayed still. As a matter of fact, there was a film a couple of years ago that I put a song in called Major League Three, Back to the Miners. And so they had a country artist that was going to record this thing uh, named Phil Claypool. So Mike Curb, who was the owner of Curb Records, comes out to see the progress on this whole thing because it's his artist. And so we're standing there. I've been introduced to him. And, you know, I'm a musician. I'm an artist, man. He's a suit. We just kind of like are ships in the night. You yeah. just pass and don't even know it. We're trying to figure out, you know, how we can connect here. And finally, he said, so uh, you still in music? And I thought, hands down, that's got to be the dumbest question I've ever been asked in my life. <laughs> and I've been interviewed a lot. And I said, yeah, it's kind of like being in the mob. You know, we take a <laughs> blood oath. Yeah. You know, we don't get out of it. And he's, yeah, he's looking for the door. Like, how do I get out of here? And, and I, I just said, yeah, I wrote, the, I wrote the song they're recording right now. Oh, man. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, <laughs> he just kind of left. You know? I'm <laughs> sure. Like, okay, man. 
you and I don't connect here at all, do we? I can't cool a drink of water to a heart that's dry. And like a cool drink of water, without you I'll just die. One of his more recent solo recordings, that's Cool Drink of Water. John Ford Coley on listener-supported 88.9 KETR. And as he prepares for his October 2nd show at the Texan Theater in Greenville, John Ford Coley is checking in with Notably Texan today. So you're in Tennessee these days. Uh, How often do you get back to your home state of Texas? I actually try to come down there as much as I can. All my family's still down there. Uh, I've got a lot of friends down there. You know, I'm I'm a dyed-in-the-world Texas boy. I might live in Tennessee. I might have lived in South Carolina. I might have lived in California, but I'm always a Texan. That's what we love uh, to hear. (laughs) So, so I, you know, I I always think like that. Again, you know, with all the family history and everything. Yeah. And so I'll come down, and it's like, you know, I came out of Burbank uh, Airport a couple of weeks ago. I was in, um, I was out there playing with Ambrosia. And uh, I just went, well, the heck with it, man. I'm just going to stop in Dallas, and then I'll fly to, to Nashville from Dallas. So I stopped in Dallas, went over to El Phoenix, went over to see uh, my aunt and uncle, you know, just kind of keeping up with them because they're all getting older and just say hello to people. So. It, there, there's a lot of lot of history down there for me, so I'm always coming down there. What do you think you miss most about the state? The good Mexican food. Okay. <laughs> um, my daddy spoke Spanish, and so we always had uh, you know Mexican people coming to the house, bringing us enchiladas and and tamales and stuff like that. So it's like you know, that's the thing that I love the most. Plus the history. You know, I, there's just so much history, and I'm one of those type of people that if there's a roadside marker, we're stopping. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're stopping. And I study a lot, you know, because, again, it's just something that's fascinating to me. And, again, I had, like I told you about my, my great-great-great-grandfather. Well, his son fought in Walker's division, so, and, they all, and they lived all over the state. So especially down in, in Caldwell County and Bastrop County and, you know, Smith and all of that. So I had family over up near Jefferson. So I go up there, and then I, then that grandfather fought in two battles down uh, below Shreveport. So it's real close, and I go down and visit those battlefields. Actually just, you know, go down there and, and kind of soak up the atmosphere. I, and I hate the fact that they're changing it so much, you know, because a lot of the people that are coming there now, first thing they do is they buy a belt, buckle, boots, and a hat, <laughs> start tossing the word y'all around like it's comical or something. And it's like, you're not from here, are you? <laughs> we you know? can, we like can always every, tell. Every time they, and they go, what are y'all doing? What's going on with y'all? And you go, you're clearly not from here. Right. <laughs> You can tell when they're trying too hard. (laughs) Yeah, they're trying too hard. It's like, just lighten up, man. We don't talk like that. I mean, you know, it's so funny. I was joking with somebody about the country music's coming out of Nashville. And I said, well, you know what? I'm I'm born and raised in the South. I live in the South. I'm I'm from Texas. I'm going to tell you right now. We don't talk like that. We don't sing like that, mate. It's like, come on. You know, (laughs) Sing like Farron Young. Sing like Willie. Sing like, you know, they didn't do that. You got to keep them straight for us out there, you know. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you. It's like, don't don't embarrass us. That's that's the accent that we used to make fun of ourselves. Man. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> well, uh, John Ford Coley, we're excited to have you in our area at the Texan Theater. Uh, what can people expect at your show on Saturday? You know, I'm going to do something a little different this time. By and large, when you play, it's always a show. And because, again, you've had people that haven't seen you, and, you, you know, you're trying to 
get everybody to remember those songs or, you know, whatever. So I tell some stories. I tell a lot of jokes. We laugh a lot. There's no politics. There's no controversial things at all that are going to come out of me on stage just simply because you're there to, to play for people, to entertain them, not to get into some, you know, argument about something. And so I'm thinking this time I'm going to talk about a lot of the groups that I've played with, maybe do bits and pieces of those kinds of songs, like Terry Sylvester or Elton or Three Dog or, you know, Billy, Billy Joe South. And it's just kind of the way that it all ties together. And play some new songs. Definitely going to play a lot of the songs that people have come to hear. But I kind of like to go a little bit deeper into the records. And we just laugh all night long because I like to laugh. And it's a nice, you've been there before, a nice small venue where you can you really can kind of uh, interact with people, too, if, you, if you're if you wanting to do that. You've you've been to the Texan before. So. <laughs> and, well, you know, the thing is, is that because it is a smaller atmosphere, uh, if someone has a question that they might like to ask, it's like, yeah, not, yeah, yell it out. We'll, we'll talk about it. I, I just love to hear people laugh. And, and there's not enough of that these days. So, you know, we just try to make everybody laugh. Well, yeah, we could definitely use more of that. So uh, that's what yep. you can that's what you can expect when John Ford Coley uh, stops in our area in Greenville on Saturday night at the Texan Theater. And uh, man, I got to say, this has re- really been an honor to uh, to speak with you. And I want to thank you for dedicating all this time and, uh, and insight today here on Notably Texan, John. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that. I look forward to seeing everybody on uh, on Saturday night. Met you on a springtime day. You were minding your life, and I was minding mine too. Lady, when you looked my way, I had a strange sensation, and darling, that's when I knew that it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one comes along. Yes, it's sad to belong to someone else when the right one Thanks again to John Ford Coley for his time with Notably Texan today. He'll be performing Saturday, October 2nd in Greenville at the Texan Theater. If you appreciate these in-depth interviews with huge names like John Ford Coley and others that we introduce you to here on Notably Texan, then support our efforts by clicking the donate button at KETR.org because listener-supported radio can't do it without you.